really good to see you. Welcome to the Worship Zone. Uh, it's 10 o'clock. There will be folks still drifting in because of uh, the late finish at the big top and uh, getting kids and things sorted. Um, you may want to make sure you move up slightly because we may be a bit um, uh, in demand. Uh, people who like uh, bar stool type chairs, they're at the back and round the sides. People who want flat chairs, they're at the front. It's a whole menu of seating options yeah, for your delight. Postmodern seating, whatever next. Yeah. Uh, my name's Pete Broadbent. Uh, my day job is that I'm Bishop of Wilsdon in northwest London. I look after 108 churches uh, up there, and I'm also looking after Stepney, which is east London, and other 70 churches there. So it's a funny old job, um, but someone's got to do it, and uh, I love doing it. And uh, let me introduce my compatriot, Vicky. Wow, what a compatriot. I'll definitely take that. My name is Vicky Beeching, and uh, I recognize a lot of your faces. Uh, I've been leading worship at the Big Top here in Minehead 3 for a couple of years, so I see some worship suspects out there. And um, we're just so glad that you're here. My day job is to lead worship at different events. I do some teaching, and I also actually now work um, a few days a week for Spring Harvest, which is a new thing for me. Very excited um, to be part of the kind of lead leadership group that organise the content and the planning for Spring Harvest. Uh, which I also do, and it, that's where this whole thing started off, really. We started having conversations about worship. Um, I did some stuff with some songwriters about the content of uh, what they write in terms of songs. Uh, one of the things that Vicky does is that she encourages the songwriters, as someone who understands songwriting uh, and music, I understand... Uh, lyrics but not music um, but one of the things I do is try and look at the lyrics of what people contribute to the songbook and make sure they make sense uh, and are theologically sensible and that kind of thing so we started having a conversation with uh, songwriters and then Vicky and I uh, over the year kind of started saying actually we could do some stuff on worship here because we have different perspectives on it uh, and so that's how this zone came into being uh, let's just find out about you uh, how many... Well, no, you, you do this because you know what the categories are. <laughs> I'd like to see you try. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get your foot in, that's what you're... <laughs> yeah, we're curious to know. Um, obviously, this stream is open to anybody who has a heart for worship. The things we're going to be talking about won't only be relevant to people that lead worship up the front. And that's... Uh, a bit of a ridiculous derivation anyway, isn't it? Because we're all worshippers. So is anybody here a passionate congregation member who just loves singing their heart out and has come to kind of discuss worship but is not up the front? Oh, I'm the front. <laughs> Fantastic. You are so, so welcome. Is anybody here involved in some kind of upfront ministry in music, singing? Golly, look at that. It's great. Brilliant. Wonderful. Um, so how many people here choose the songs, choose the set list? How many people are backing singers? Any drummers? Bass players? Guitarists? Any of those electric guitarists? Keyboard players? Fantastic. Organists? <laughs> hey, don't knock it. Anybody play woodwind instruments up the front? Mm, one thing I wanted to say at the beginning of this stream is uh, I apologize that we don't have an afternoon seminar for woodwind or strings, but that is something we're going to add in next year. We just didn't have quite enough slots, um, but don't feel left out. We're going to really give some focus to that next year because it's very important. And anybody do choir stuff? Lead, leader, church choir, robes choir, 
all that RSCM stuff, so that as well. We're going to try and cover the whole gamut of church worship. Bless you. Should we ask about denominations too? That would be interesting. Yes, what do we got? Who's, who here is uh, a Baptist? Who here is from the true Church of England? <laughs> who here is a Methodist? Uh, URC? Uh, Free Church? Pentecostal? Independent of some kind? <laughs> Quaker? We had a Quaker last week. Very interesting getting Quakers talking about music because um, they don't do much of it. Um, uh, what else have we got? Anybody? NFI? Pioneer? Vineyard. Okay. Vineyard. Vineyard. Right, okay. You can open your eyes now. It's all right. Uh. That was quite funny. Yeah, I, I, do, I do occasional jokes. Uh, let's pray and then we'll just talk about what we're going to do. Father, thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you that we express that in all kinds of different ways. Thank you particularly for the gift of song and music. And we pray that as we uh, discuss together, you may help us learn more about how we can be better worshippers and worship leaders. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Just like give a quick overview of the topic and then... Well, should we talk about what we do first? I mean, yeah. Because we haven't quite done that. I mean, Vicky, yeah. you, you, you lead music by running a band. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. Um, I think all of our different music group kind of organising experiences are different, aren't they? It really depends on your church. <clears throat> and uh, I grew up in a very small church. Is anybody in a church here of under 50 people? In a, anybody from a rural setting also? Um, yeah, I grew up in an Anglican church, the true church of God, as my esteemed bishop colleague said. Um, and uh, we had about 40 people on a great Sunday. That would be something to celebrate if we made it into the 40s. And uh, most people were of, you know, how can I say this? You know, grey-haired persuasion. Um, and uh, I don't have to dye mine to go grey. <laughs> Ooh, True. Touché. Um, my mum is the worship leader at this church. It's just her on a keyboard. Very rarely can she find anybody to join in because no one else really plays anything. Um, and so that was the setting in which I grew up. We were in a very traditional little Anglican church, mainly hymns. My mum had a real passion to bring in some modern worship like we'd experienced at Spring Harvest. So um, we would come every year as a family to Spring Harvest. Mum would get the songbook, take it back. So uh, I very much know what it's like to be spring harvesters who are from a very small local church. And you look at the big top worship and go, there's no way we could pull that off at home. This is a million miles away from what we do. And you go home and try and figure out how to translate it to your context. So that's how I grew up. Um, these days, I actually do lead worship full time. And I find myself blessed enough to have a band that travel with me, um, usually leading worship for a few thousand people at, at a time but very much still in touch with my mum, who is still doing that same role in her local church. So I kind of come spanning those two perspectives, and everything um, we talk about today will, will be a applicable to you know the giant city churches who are overrun with people to serve and volunteer, down to the tiny rural churches that uh, are just trying to make it from week to week. So hopefully I'll be a bit of both. Uh, and my role's funny in the sense that what, what happens if you're a bishop is that you end up leading worship uh, in a different church every week. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, you're kind of worshipping chameleon uh, because wherever you appear, you have to lead it. It's the ex expectation is that you're up front doing the stuff, uh, the words and cueing the music and that kind of thing. Though obviously, my, my role is much more to do with the words of worship. 
uh, and you fit in wherever it is. So some days I'm decked up to the nines in all kinds of Anglican tat, um, looking like a complete idiot. Um, uh, and other days I'm dressed fairly normally in the sort of stuff I'm wearing today and everything in between. Uh, robes, no robes, uh, pomp and circumstance, uh, bells and smells, uh, or charismatic That's a bit worship. disturbing. Is that anything to do with you or more the service? <laughs> Actually, we probably need some incense in here to get rid of the we rather do. nasty smell that's lurking around. Um, uh, so, all, all that stuff. And, and, of course, the odd thing about that is, therefore, what you have to do is to find yourself a place where you can be worshipping whatever the kind of flavour and menu is, uh, which I love doing, uh, but it's odd so that I'm not in the same context every week. So, we're both roving in that sense, yep. probably more than most of you guys are. Yes. Uh, but we've also had experience of being fixed in an ordinary church and mm. uh, all the joys and sorrows that brings. Give us an overview of what we're doing. Yeah, so we're going to um, be together for the next four days. And when Pete and I were thinking about how to structure this, we thought we'd spend each day with a slightly different focus. Today is titled Looking Up. So today we're going to be looking at the God that we worship. And uh, we're going to be answering questions about who we worship, why we worship, and how we worship um, as we gaze on him. Um, just to give you a bit of a heads up about what's coming. Tomorrow we're going to be looking sideways looking around us as the people of God, because we don't just worship as individuals, do we? we? We worship in the context of us as the people of God, not only in our individual churches, but also looking at the, the church history that surrounds us, the great cloud of witnesses. Um, as we look around us, we kind of, we learn more about who we worship. Day three, um, session three, we're going to be looking at the inward kind of quest to become people who are more like Jesus. So that'll be looking inward at the need for purity of heart and character. And then the final morning session, we'll be looking outward uh, the relationship between worship and justice. So uh, today's looking up, looking at God, and uh, we want you to start even thinking now about your questions about uh, you know, what that kind of upward gaze raises in your heart. Who do we worship? Why? How do we do it? And uh, I will let the esteemed bishop to my right kick off about who we worship. She's got a thing about calling me bishop. I'm very worried about it. We'll get more informal. It will become the bish, maybe by tomorrow. <laughs> so no change there, then. Uh, this is something about who we worship and what, we're, what, you know, what the backdrop is. And then we'll just get you to have a think about uh, what that means in practice. So who are we worshipping? What, what's the centre of Christian worship? Uh, well, first of all, worship is obviously for God. Uh, we come in order to give something to God when we worship. Uh, it's to God in the sense that we address what we do, and it's worship of God in the sense that what we're doing is reflecting on our experience of God uh, and giving him uh, the, the, the worth that is due. Uh, and I, I suppose we need to lay aside just one thing, which is a, an important part of theology of worship at the beginning, and it's this, that of course we know that worship is something about the whole of life. Uh, so when you go to work, when you go to school, uh, whatever you're doing during the day in your communities or whatever, uh, your life is a life of worship. The word is latreia. It means uh, giving that worship to God through everything you do. Uh, and therefore, nothing we're going to say in the next few days ignores that. 
but we aren't going to major on it. We are focusing on the act of what we do when we come together as the community of God's people in church. But please don't therefore think that we think you can only do it in church. It's quite clear from the way in which the New Testament talks about worship that what you are and how you live your life as a Christian is your acceptable worship. Uh, and that's quite, quite what uh, Paul and others talk about in the New Testament. So, but worship is therefore this sense that when we gather, um, we are doing something which is uh, in touch with and for God, and it's something he's created us to do. We are called to be worshippers. Uh, and secondly, of course, it's also Trinitarian. The early Christians uh, didn't really have a, a fully formed doctrine of the Trinity. It comes through in various bits of the New Testament, but it's, it's not really coherent until you get further on into the second century. Nonetheless, what the first Christians discovered was that as Jesus came and told them to call God Father... Uh, and that they had that wonderful intimate relationship with him as their father, as Jesus showed them who he was and taught them how they were to be his disciples, and as he then went and sent the Holy Spirit to reveal himself and to point us to him, so they discovered themselves to be Trinitarian. It's kind of, you know, I woke up one morning and found I was a Trinitarian. Uh, and actually that's what the New Testament Christians did. You know, and, and you see them working it out, and St. Paul in particular kind of working it through as he writes his New Testament letters. Uh, and therefore our worship is always going to be Trinitarian worship. It's always going to be about uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do I need to read that out or can someone see it? <laughs> I can't see it. You have to admit, come a bit closer because the lights are against me. Can Mrs. Opong please contact a steward if Mrs. Opong's in here? Lovely. Thank you. Uh, it's also about an experience which is both transcendent and imminent. What do I mean by that? The transcendent is that sense that when you get into God's presence, you are overcome by the mystery and awe of stuff. Uh, and in all our traditions, we have those moments of transcendence. Uh, I worship quite a lot because of doing the, the role I do in very Catholic-type churches where they're built to kind of see God as uh, awesome, mysterious, uh, even far away and inaccessible. The, the design of the building is quite often put together such that, you, you know, uh, what goes on at the sharp end of the church is a long way away uh, and it's kind of steeped in mystery. There is lots of smoke around uh, and uh, bells and smells in order to indicate that God's other. But equally, if you someone from the charismatic tradition, you will find those moments when you're caught up in the transcendence and mystery of God. When you're, you can just get those moments when the whole tent or the whole room goes silent as you realise what an amazing God you're worshipping. Or else you're caught up in praise so much that it, it's a, a, a kind of earth-shattering experience for you. We, we all have those moments when we see God as the creator of the universe, the other, the one we can't know and yet can know in Jesus Christ. And then we also have worship that's very down-to-earth, imminent. That is to say, God's among us. Uh, God is uh, for us and with us. Jesus Christ told us that as we gather together, we are acknowledging each other. And lots of our worship is about saying hello to somebody else. Spooks some Christians, you know, when we share the peace uh, or we talk to each other in a service. Uh, it's not something we're used to in all our traditions. But it is that sense that you can't worship without acknowledging somebody else. Well, you can. You can go to 8 o'clock communion. <laughs> um, there's a kind of individualism built in some of our religion which allows people to be silent on their own. It's very interesting when you preach in St. Paul's Cathedral uh, to see how many people have come for the experience mm -hmm. and not to want to engage with anybody else. Yes. Um, 
but uh, there's also that sense that when we gather, we can't ignore the fact we're part of the body of Christ. And it's about encounter. It, and one of the things that you notice when you sing worship songs is that we often sing songs that are about God. Oh God, uh, you are great, you have done these things, and we recount the things that you've done. Uh, and we also have got much more in the habit these days of singing songs which are to God. God, I love you, uh, and I want to worship you, and I want to adore you. Uh, and um, sometimes slightly sickly stuff saying, Jesus is my girlfriend, but we try and avoid those. Uh, and worship is always diverse and incultured. It's about where you are. It's about the context in you are. You can't avoid your worship reflecting the community and place you are uh, and the sort of congregation you are. In London, uh, we have a huge variety of different sorts of churches, many of which are just kind of neighbourhood churches in their own locality, but some are also big cathedral-type places which people go to out of choice because of the aesthetic or, or the particular style of worship or the particular spirituality that's expressed in them. Uh, and uh, worship takes up its own sense of where it is. It's diverse, and I love that, actually. Uh, and part of the, 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 the good thing about being around the place is that you actually engage with all kinds of stuff uh, around uh, as you worship in different places. Just talk to the person next to you for a moment. What's your experience? What's the best thing you've experienced in worship recently? Just share that with the person next to you. What's the best thing you've experienced in worship recently? Let's get some uh, Vox Pops. What do you want to say to us about your conversations? Who wants to share what you've been talking uh, about? Don't be shy. We're community. We're God's people together. Well, I started off by thinking about the being part of the worship in the big top last night and being part of the family of God. And, but it, it, it just reminded me, the very first time I went to, before I was a Christian, my wife took me along on a Saturday night to this huge church in Leicester um, to see Noel Richards and just being part of the worship within, um, it, in, at the time I didn't really understand what it was but the whole age range of youngsters right through to where I was to sort of older people but we'd all got this one thing in common which I didn't understand what it was at the time but it was worshipping the Lord and basically I was being welcomed into the family of God. Brilliant, thank you. Yes, that's so it's cross-generational. That's, that's an interesting thing in itself, isn't it? That uh, you know, for many people, that we don't do much cross-generational stuff, but worship does that. And then it's also converting. Here's somebody who wasn't a Christian or wasn't sure about that where they were, who discovers that in the experience of worship, they're caught up into God. Others, who else wants to say something? You're all very quiet. <laughs> we want to get you excited. Come on, who else wants to volunteer what you were talking about? Was it so personal? Yeah. Um, a wonderful experience I had quite recently was when the, the, the worship became so free and the Holy Spirit was so tangible that um, for the first time I sang in tongues. And that was just uh, just such an amazing feeling and that closeness in worship and that feeling so close to our Lord through worship and and it was just wonderful. Excellent, thank God for that, brilliant. That's great. 
someone once said to me that with good worship, evil can't stand. And I find that when I'm playing or singing, uh, you, you know, you, your mind goes into a different dimension, doesn't it? You feel good, you feel you feel clean, and everything's uh, really smashing. And, that, and that, that's my experience of worship. <laughs> So two examples, really, of the transcendent stuff. You know, somebody saying, well, I'm caught up in worship so much, I find myself praising the Lord in tongues. Somebody else saying, you know, when I'm, when I'm leading worship, actually, I get caught up in it and, and almost out, you know, outside uh, myself. What about the folk back here? Anyone got some contributions to make? Or you're all being very quiet as well? Probably all, all perched on, swift, swift they're all perched the on bar, their bar stools up here. They are. So I could, you could do target practice, couldn't you, actually? <laughs> Yeah, hi. We were just talking about just this whole scale of worship from the very small scale, personal, intimate to the very large churches and so on. And just touching on this question, which is bound to come out, um, a common question about is there a real danger and how do we avoid it of the larger style worship encounters becoming more like a performance uh, and just the dangers of that. And then the chap here, sorry, can't remember your name I was speaking to, uh, saying you can actually be too wary of that. And that can be a danger almost in itself. So, Let's ask Vicky that one, because you, you, you must have the performance temptation coming daily at you. What do you mean? Well, because <laughs> cause, cause you're up front doing that stuff you know, when you're on tour. It is an interesting one. Um, my mum uh, talks to me about this a lot. She says to me that she became a worship leader before being a worship leader was cool. And uh, she'd been doing it since she was about 18 in her local church. Her parents were the pastors, my grandparents, and they just expected her to choose songs every week and to actually write a new song every week to be sung um, after the preaching. So, um, and she just got on with it. And then when I got to about 14, I was watching, you know, Delirious and Matt Redman. And I told my mum uh, I wanted to be a worship leader when I grew up. And she said, well, that's not a job, is it? <laughs> <laughs> So that's like saying you want to be the person that makes the tea at church. Um, so I love that perspective for her. It was just a very normal part of church culture. It wasn't anything really to aspire to. It wasn't any more special than anything else. And that for me just kind of reminds me that even if we have got all the lights and the, the great big band and 4,000 people, it's actually no different to being at church, is it? And serving in any other way. Um, and it, it can risk becoming a performance because we go for professionalism, don't we? Uh, but my heart is that we would only ever be as professional as we need to be to get out of the way. And a lot of the professionalism for me, like rehearsing great quality sound, great quality lights, is actually so that nothing distracts, uh, so that we do have an excellence where everybody can switch off and go, we know that this has been rehearsed and produced to such a degree that we can just relax. And that's important for us as people involved in music, isn't it? Have you ever been to another church or maybe your own church? People are doing music and there's so many things wrong with it that you can't switch off. So I hope at Spring Harvest is not to overproduce or to perform, but to give you the chance to just know that we've practiced and we've invested in as much money as we have in it so that you can switch off and just know that it, uh, it shouldn't be a distraction for you. One more here. Just to touch on that same theme, actually, of performance, uh, I, I get, uh, I've had those comments come back as a, as a worship leader to us about, it's not a performance, we're here to lead the congregation. And I take quite a brutal stance on it in saying, for me, it is about performance. It's performing to the best you can, to the best, for the best reason you possibly can, and that's for God. Yeah, I love that call on us for excellence. It's... Uh it's funny, if we were 
playing our instruments before a king or a queen, I'm sure we'd put a heck of a lot of time in getting it right, wouldn't we? Uh, or if we were going to be on live TV, broadcast to millions, and yet there we are playing for the Lord. I do agree. I think there's a call on us to actually be excellent, um, but never to let that replace, as you're saying, the, the desire to uh, really serve and worship. I think yours is the next bit. Perfect. Well, I do agree with Pete. I think we need a bit more energy in the room. I wish I brought my guitar so we could have sung together. But um, I've been dreaming about this worship zone for the last year, and you have no idea how excited I am that each of your butts are in those seats, as it were. Um, your butt's on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Okay, you win. The bishop has scored a lot of points there. I think my hair would look even cooler. See if we can get a bit of... There you go. I thought you were doing rabbit things earlier on, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone you've ever talked with has been quite as weird as me, have they, Pete? Pete's used to a lot of good ecclesial Oh, no, people. I go back a long time in spring harvest. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this, this is just such a dream for me to see this room filled with people who are passionate about sung worship. And uh, I hope that you'll journey with us over the next few mornings um, because we want to become a community and we want you to really... Uh, I don't know, feel like, feel like we've grown together, feel like we've become family. So Pete's talked to us about who we worship and uh, the, uh, all the long words that we now have to take back to our churches to impress people. You can go up to your pastor and say, well, the Lord's put a bit of transcendent and imminent worship on my heart this week. <laughs> it's going to be good, isn't it? We've got stuff to impress people with. That's our main aim for these morning sessions, to make you into worship boffins so that you can just... <laughs> mundanely bore people. It's a bit like when you go on holiday and you come back with those infernal slides and you say, and here I am at the beach again with an ice cream. It's like, and the bishop said that worship has to be transcendent and imminent. And all your friends will be like, <laughs> but we'll feel good. Get on with it. <laughs> Perfect. Second heading of the morning. We've looked at who we worship. Now we're going to look at why we worship. Have you ever wondered why God wants us to worship him. If you had a friend or a spouse and they sat you down and they said, you know what, once a week I would like you to um, sing songs to me, look me in the eye, pour out your heart, make up melodies, gush, tell me how great I am. Wouldn't you think they had a bit of an ego problem? <laughs> I probably would be, you know, removing myself from said relationship at great speed, if I could. Um, it's, it's just a worrying sign. And yet God says that to us, doesn't he? He says, I want you to tell me how great I am. I want you to sing songs to me. I want you to practice your instruments and make it awesome. What, what does he actually get out of it? God doesn't need anything, does he? He is uh, all-sufficient. And the great secret is that in being asked to worship him, actually he's doing us a favor because... I'm sure we can all uh, resonate with this. As we worship God, it's not about us stroking his ego, is it? It's actually about entering into relationship. And he knows that as we worship him, we will find out more of who he is. We will engage with his heart. And uh, like the gentleman over there says, when we engage in worship, we actually feel his love, don't we? We feel his power. We feel that evil has to flee. We feel um, cleansed and renewed and loved. So far from God being egotistical, and wanting us to kind of puff him up. Worship is actually a gift to us. And as we give to God, we actually find that he's giving back to us. It's a beautiful thing. We worship because we are hardwired to do so. Has anybody here got children? Children have heroes, don't they? 
When they're really, really small, like my nephews and nieces, their heroes seem to be Peppa Pig and uh, what is it? Yabba Gabba Gabba? Yo Gabba Gabba, whatever it is. They're all into these hilarious things. And there's always some new program, some new cartoon character that they want to be. Um, and then as, as we get older into our teenage years, uh, I'm sure everybody in this room has had a, a pop star's picture on their wall or a glued onto their folder at school or a favorite football team. Any allegiances for you, the Bish? It's just a very important day today. We will be proving which is the better team in North London. You knows. Pete's a very big Spurs fan. Um, but even in, as we're growing up, we see, don't we, in our children, in our teenagers, and in ourselves in those stages, we look for heroes. We look for people to put on the wall and look up to, and we are wired to worship. It's not a choice. It's not about whether we worship. It's purely about who we worship. Uh, and God has put that kind of chip in us that we were made to look up to him. We were made to desire him and to follow him. So we don't choose whether we worship. We purely choose who we worship. Uh, the great um, St. Augustine said, we are restless until we find rest in God. We're restless until we find rest in him. And we rest as we worship. When we come into that place of surrender, of acknowledging his kingship, um, and of asking for his kingdom to come. That's where we actually find our rest. So it's interesting that you said um, about finding that sense of peace when you worship. It's like we find the, the slot that we were made to fill, isn't it? We worship because we are mirroring the heavenly reality. Revelation 4 is one of my favorite passages in scripture. It says that John was on the island of Patmos uh, and that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which I guess means he was pulling out his uh, day by day with the Bible notes and, uh, you know, seeing what Jeff Lucas had to say. Um, we, uh, we hear about that. It says that one minute he was just kind of praying, talking to the Lord. And the next minute, a door opened in heaven. And he heard a voice saying, come up here and I'll show you what's going on. And it's almost like John was just having a normal day, seeking the Lord. And suddenly he got this glimpse into what's going on up there in eternity. Uh, and uh, obviously, you know, the picture, you know, the throne and the elders and the living creatures and the throngs and multitudes of people worshipping. And that's going on now, isn't it? That is the eternal reality. And we worship because we mirror that. It says in the Lord's Prayer, let your, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, God's desire is that the earth would actually reflect the realities of heaven. And we join with that song, don't we? So let that be an encouragement if you're in a small church. When, uh, when the little group of you are singing, it might not sound like many voices, but you're actually joining with this vast eternal reality as we, uh, as we ask for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another reason we worship is because we're passing on the story of God. In the Old Testament, the, uh, the scriptures weren't written down for quite a long time, and uh, the stories were passed on, weren't they, from uh, family to family and generation to generation. It was called oral tradition, oral tradition. And part of our singing is to rehearse and remind ourselves who God is and what he's done. And we pass that on to each other, don't we, as we sing songs. How great is our God? He's the name above all names. Forever God is faithful. These are actually reminders, aren't they, of who God is and what he's done. And it's not dissimilar from the people of Israel telling stories to each other or the disciples in the early church reminding each other of the parables or the miracles of what Jesus had done. Uh, the Israelites would build altars as they journeyed. When they got to a new place, they would gather stones and they would erect them in the name of Jesus and, and worship there and say, this is a sign that God is among us. 
And every time we come together to sing and worship, it's like we're piling up stones, aren't we? We're building an altar saying, here in this place, God is with us and we're going to worship him. A final reason I've got here um, as to why we worship is because it focuses us back on God. We do worship as a lifestyle, don't we? It is a 24-7 thing. But there's something different when we gather together as God's people and actually set time aside. It's, uh, it encompasses everything we are, isn't it? You can't really be in a meeting like last night and not be engaged because it's a visual thing. It's an auditory thing. It's a physical thing to sing and listen and watch. So uh, even though uh, we do worship all the time, there's something special like Pete was saying about the actual gathered corporate part of it. So my question to you is, uh, have you ever wondered why we do what we do? And uh, why do you do what you do? Why are you involved in the way you are? Was it uh, God kind of tugging on your heart saying, I want you to move into this area of ministry? Did you find yourself there by accident? Is there anybody who is the only non-tone deaf member of their congregation? Why do you do what you do? Why do you put the time in to prepare these songs? Why are you in this position you're in? Or if you're in the congregation, why is it that you're so passionate? Just turn to the person next to you for a few moments. Why do you do what you do in sung worship? And we'd love to hear feedback on this one because it will help us think about what we tackle as we go forward during the week. So let's hear from you. Why are you you a worship leader? Let's be hearing from you. Those moments when you stand up and think, how did I get into doing this in the first place? Let's have some, uh, some of your contributions on this. We both spoke about uh, having a, a sense of calling. Uh, it was more than just having the right practical skills uh, for the role, but having some feeling of calling, which sounds very lofty, but uh, uh, that, that was a driving force from quite early on in life for, for us. Uh, and I think uh, that's absolutely right. I mean, theologically, uh, in the New Testament, what, what we recognize is that we're gifted people. We're given gifts. Uh, and the gifts, according to St. Paul, are both gifts that are innate in us. So if you're musical anyway, you have those gifts. Uh, but also you might be given extra gifts by the Holy Spirit. And, and that's also something that happens to us. God, God sometimes takes us and tops up or even gives us stuff we hadn't got before. Uh, and that sense that there is a, a, a vocational understanding of how we do our stuff. Vocation means calling. Um, and that in our churches... Uh, there are things we're called to do. Again, be careful, because if we limit vocation just to what happens in church, we forget the other bigger vocational stuff. But I say I'm taking that as read this week, that there's lives we have outside church where we, all, we do these things. But I think there's a real sense in which it's worthwhile saying to ourselves, has God given me this gift? And if I, if I have it, how do I use it? So I'm absolutely right, and a good theological reminder. Thank you. Others, you were waving at the back. I saw you. Um, we, we talked about the fact that we, we started it because of the gift, but uh, what came out clear in our group was that uh, we all came from a standpoint of having no confidence whatsoever, <laughs> and it was actually God then that brought us on and actually encouraged us and helped us to grow into the person from the back to be the person at the front. Vicky, how did you, how did you find that journey of being confident as a worship leader? Hmm. I was... Um was probably the shyest member of my youth group in my uh, early teens. And uh, when I told the, my youth leader that I thought God was calling me to be uh, an upfront worship leader, he sort of laughed 
And uh, he said, well, if God can do that with you, he can do it with anyone. <laughs> I think he thought that was encouraging, but it wasn't really. Um, the other great driving force in this for me was my, was my mum, who would hear me at home in my bedroom writing these songs on my guitar. And one day she sat me down and uh, she said, you know what, Vicky, if you don't start sharing these songs, God won't give you any more. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. This is terrible. And she compared it to being like a stream, you know, that flows. And if it gets uh, kind of stagnant in the middle, it just kind of, you know, it, it reaches a, a point of stopping. And she said that God's gifts have to come in and go out of you. And you can't just kind of keep them for yourself. So I was basically, you know, panicked into sharing these songs in case I didn't get any more. But... Um, I was very embarrassed, very shy. My face would go bright red for at least the first two or three years of worship leading. People would come up to me, um, even when I was, you know, been doing it for years and years, and say, was that your first time? Which is never encouraging. Um, <laughs> but one of my great secrets was, if you clamp your eyes shut, the people all disappear. So, great tip there. But yeah, just know that it's, it is terrifying. It's, it's true that... Um, People rank being up in front of others as greater fear than death, don't they, in, in statistical polls here in the UK. So being up in front of people is terrifying for the average person, and it only wears off with time. So if you're still finding it difficult, don't be discouraged, because it's completely normal. Okay, so something about calling, something about confidence. Who can give us a third C? Who else want to share stuff? They're all very reticent. You, you were talking like mad there to each other. <laughs> I suppose I'm coming from the other perspective that I was dragged into it, kicking and screaming, I think, really, that somebody else saw this in me that I hadn't seen for myself and I never saw myself being in a position where I could stand up and take the responsibility of leading the congregation in worship mm -hmm. until somebody said, you're doing it, and that was it, and I had to start doing it then. And I think I do all right now. <laughs> So how many of you are press-ganged into it by the, the, the minister or the vicar? Well, not too many. So most of you have that other sense. Someone over here was waving at me? Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I was dragged into singing initially. Um, and I became a gospel singer. And I just loved to share what was in my heart with people through the songs I sang. Um, and then it developed into wanting to talk about what I sang, which uh, developed into... Um, preaching. So um, started with singing and led to preaching. I'd love to do both. Beware where it takes you. It's great. Isn't it? <laughs> Folk at the back, let's not leave you out. Anyone up here with a... Yeah, there's a few to the right-hand side. Yeah, it was uh, Steve and I were just talking about... Um, uh, it was need-led, need, need led really. You know, there, it was an obvious need. We needed to, you know, Steve was press-ganned into it. Um, and now we, we see the need now to pass on, because I've been doing it for too long now, and now, needs, now it's time to pass it on and, and, uh, and uh, mentor others, yeah. It's brilliant. There's a few ladies down here, Pete, when you're done. Um, I guess I kind of have quite a different view to people in that I'm quite new to worship leading, so kind of it's something God's put on my heart since summer and kind of has brought up the odd thing, but kind of still at the early stages of the process. Well, great stuff. Go with it. <coughs> Try and get through there. You're, you're all, there's a solid phalanx of people here. Let's, let's come around that way. And I'm, I've lost where the hand was. It was your hand. Right. 
And we were just talking about how much it was a privilege that you kind of felt called to do it. And then it was such a privilege to be leading worship and then finding that the congregation were coming with you. And it was just built on that, really. Yeah, just to add to that, it, it's just like part of a service. You know, you want to serve your king and it's, it's part of that serving God through worship, leading others to him. So some brilliant stories about God getting us into this and finding that actually, you know, you can use your gifts and you just want to serve. Great. Um, we were just both saying about how um, we both wanted to be involved and we found that was the best way. Um, and mine was even more than that. My dad was in it and my sister was in it and I went in it and my brother then also joined music group as well. So it's like a whole big family thing. Were you waving? Yeah, um, just... Yeah, let me think. Just me and my friends just have a massive, compelling desire to give back to the church, I guess, the church community. Thank you. If I missed anyone who bursting to say something. Yeah, I'm also a a new worship leader, but I do it in a life group sense because the way we do it in church is, you know, we encourage people to do to develop their giftings in our life groups. And uh, one of the things I'm learning very much so is um, it's a, leading worship is so much about communicating with the people you're wor- you know, leading the worship to. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's really encouraging to see so many people who are new to this, who are taking the first steps. Mm-hmm. And we'll try and do some stuff, I guess, to help people yeah. with that a bit later on. I was um, very cynical about seeing worship from up front for a few years. Um, and I was at an event called New Wine and um, I can't remember why I went up but I went up for prayer and I remember leaving it thinking nothing's happened and then I looked back a few years later and I found myself slowly really engaging with God through music and that kind of led to leading worship as well specifically young people so I think for me it was a very slow journey and didn't realize the trigger until a few years ago so or looking back sorry over these few years so the, the prayer and I guess the Holy Spirit made the starting difference and then it went from there. And that's true of so much in our Christian lives, isn't it? That as you grow and develop, you don't always see the progress until you look back and you realise what God's done. You think, golly, how did I get here? And, and uh, it's about God's grace and God's gifting. It is. Yeah, thanks for being so open. This is fantastic. We've looked at who we worship and why we worship. The last heading today is how we worship. Anybody taking notes? Yes. I'm a note taker. I love it. I think it's a worrying sign about us, isn't it? And uh, mm, No, I love it. I'm just a bit of a geek. How do we worship? We sing, don't we? The stuff we're talking about today, it's instrumental and vocal. And uh, somebody made the comment earlier about being in a context of worship as a non-Christian person, looking around and thinking, wow, all of these people are crossing the divides of you know typical demography age backgrounds culture and they're coming together as one and that's quite a spectacle isn't it and so uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you today is what other places in culture do we see that happening everybody getting together untrained people who don't necessarily particularly like singing getting together the things that sprang to my mind were football matches Pete becomes quite um Charismatic, as it were, when his favourite team are playing. Um, karaoke, anybody like karaoke? Fantastic. Um, community choirs, school choirs, things like that. There aren't that many situations in life where you can actually go, 
a bunch of untrained people get together and sing. And uh, we are doing something quite unusual, aren't we, as the church, getting people that aren't really necessarily comfortable singing, who like a massive variety of musical preferences, getting together, listening to a bunch of people playing whatever it is we've got, probably guitar, piano, and singing the same song. That's actually quite unusual, isn't it? So one thing I wanted to say today is just to affirm all of us that we are doing something very countercultural. That is something uh, quite to behold for people that come in who don't know Jesus, because it just doesn't happen very often. The Bible commands us and urges us to sing. It's not something that we've made up. It's not our choice. It says in the, the book of Psalms, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. It's very clear that God wants us to sing. We don't entirely know why, but it is something he's commanded us to do. And maybe part of it, like this gentleman said, is it is a, a bit of a sign and a wonder to people coming in off the street going, wow, these people actually are behaving as one. It's a bit like a football team. You know, you can see that everybody's on the same page and excited about the same thing. Another reason why we sing is because scripture tells us that God is a singing God. Anybody like Zephaniah 3.17? It's an uh, amazing scripture, isn't it? It says that um, God delights over us. He rejoices over us with singing. And, uh, you know, the Hebrew word, they, chose, they just chose singing. I mean, that just says a lot to me. It's like there's something about God and his excitement about us. Um, he is portrayed in that book of Zephaniah as a singing God. So as he sings over us, we sing back to him. Another one of my favorite pictures of God uh, with regards to singing is the Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody a C.S. Lewis fan? I love it. You see in, um, in the creation scene that Lewis describes, Aslan the lion walking through the yet unformed earth. And as Aslan sings, life springs up. He sings and as the melodies go out, you know, flowers start popping up and trees start growing and birds start you know, whatever they do, flying, that's it. It's been, a, it's been a long three weeks of spring harvest. I was going to say swimming. Actually, I, I think they mostly spend the time walking around top of chalets, don't they? <laughs> also, I didn't know seagulls stayed up so late. <laughs> and they get tired. I couldn't believe it. 11.30 last night. <laughs> it's like, where's my machete? <laughs> Take that off the recording. <clears throat> I love animals. Part of our worship is to embrace ecology and to bless the Lord's creation. Anyway, exactly, creation does sing very loudly at 11.30 at night. But I think my voice and a seagull have something in common, really. Fantastic. So Aslan is walking through Narnia and he's singing it into being and uh, that Zephaniah picture of a singing God, it's like he, he sings over us, he sings over creation and we sing back. It's kind of like a, uh, a two-part conversation, a two-part symphony that we and God sing to each other. Another reason why we sing is because it takes our full attention. If you're trying to sing a song, you're looking at the lyrics, you're creating the sound with your body, you're listening to everything that's going on. It's, it's quite difficult to be ADD in worship. Um, and I, I am quite easily distracted. If I'm in meetings, I like using my gadgets. I'm a gadget freak. Does anybody like gadgets here? Any technological people? Yes. I'm always fiddling around Twittering or checking Facebook or you know, responding to a text. And I love the fact that when we're in worship, all of our senses and our physical body are engaged, aren't they? 
kind of grabs our attention in, in a visual and auditory and, and multi-sensory way and we engage with everything that we are. And singing is one of those things that does that to you, more so than many other things that are more spectator. We are part of what is going on. It lifts your spirits. One of the gentlemen over there said that. You just feel a sense of joy when you sing. There's something about it. You feel like you are one with the people that you're with. I think there's no um, coincidence that God has chosen the act of singing as the thing that he's uh, kind of calling us to do as part of our worship. We also sing in church because, as somebody put it, why should the devil have all the good music? We sing because music was actually initially God's idea, wasn't it? And uh, I challenge any of you here that feel like any particular form of music is evil. Because music is essentially neutral. Everything God has made is good. And it can be taken and used for negative purposes. But actually music in itself innately is good. I've got um, some friends in America who are in a Christian heavy metal band. And uh, to look at them, you'd think, I don't want to meet you in a dark night in an alleyway. But then you see them after their show, you know, kissing babies and, uh, you know, spending time praying with all the children. And you think, wow, this is amazing. I, I put this stereotype on them that their, their genre of music is dark and evil. And many people into heavy metal, uh, you know, do struggle with a lot of darkness. But they've redeemed that genre and brought it back to its original purpose. So uh, whether it's traditional organ music that you find difficult and think is of the devil or, uh, you know, hard rock or heavy metal or whatever it is, just um, let's be reminded today that everything is of God. And he's given us music as a gift because he invented it. He is the singing God. And uh, it's not right that the devil or anyone else should uh, kind of put some kind of, uh, you know, lens over any form of music. All of it is God's, isn't it? And we can use it all for his glory. So we worship through singing for all of those reasons. And, uh, one of the things that I wonder about is, as we sing, are we really reflecting God's dream? When he imagined what it would be like to have a body of people that sang worship to him, are we really kind of hitting the mark on that? And a lot of that relates to what we're actually singing lyrically. I've talked about the how of music, but now onto the how of, of content. What are we actually saying in our songs? What are we actually singing about? Yes, we're called to sing, but God doesn't just want empty melodies or random words. I think his heart desires for us to really uh, speak truth about who he is, to reflect what the Bible says about who he is. Does anybody have a passion for making sure the content of songs really reflects who God is? Does anybody think a bit of... Some of the modern worship is a bit wishy-washy. Um, you just long for, for a bit more content. One of the things I like to say is, what would happen if aliens landed from Pluto and got hold of the Spring Harvest songbook. What picture of God would it paint if that was all they had to go on? And they literally got out a paintbrush and a pen and they thought, right, I'm going to paint a picture of this God and I'm going to write down what he's like. As their little green fingers worked away on the page, not being stereotypical about aliens, um, what, would, what picture would they paint? And not just the Spring Harvest songbook, but your set lists for the last two years, if these aliens got hold of those, your set lists and your lyric sheets, if that was all they had to go on, what picture would it paint of God? And it's not actually as uh, outlandish as aliens. Imagine somebody walking in from the street who's never ever been to church, 
from a totally unchurched background, if they sat through the last two years of your sets and your uh, lyrics, what picture of God would they have? Well, I think that goes a bit deeper in terms of uh, what we think we're doing in worship overall. Because uh, although we've majored on music um, to a large extent this morning, the whole way in which we put our uh, entire service together uh, is uh, similarly something we need to think quite clearly about. Um, we all do liturgy. Uh, now, I know liturgy in one sense is, is what people think about when they see written down words. It's what the Church of England, the Methodists, the Roman Catholics uh, in particular do. Uh, but it's also something which is about the liturgia, the, the uh, worship of everybody uh, and the form it takes. So if whether, whatever your preferred way of worshipping is, it has a liturgy, it has a pattern. Mm. Uh, if you're like me, doing set liturgy, which is written down in a book, which people respond to, the Lord be with you. <laughs> so some of you do it automatically. Um, uh, you've got that stuff which is a part of your pattern. If you come from the more obviously traditional non-conformist background of the hymn sandwich, um, where you have hymn followed by uh, introduction, followed by hymn, followed by confession, followed by hymn, no, I'm overdoing it, but um, that's also a pattern, a liturgy. Uh, if you go to somewhere like New Wine or Soul Survivor, uh, you have a pattern and liturgy there. It's 45 minutes of sung worship. It's 45 minutes of preach. Uh, and it's 45 minutes of ministry time and response. Uh, and that's how it operates. It's a pattern. It's a liturgy. Uh, whatever your particular tradition, we have our own ways of doing things. Uh, and I suppose the important thing is to say, have we got a sense that the content of it is good and honouring to God. It's back to Vicky's question, the alien test, if you like. Uh, where is this thing going? We'll do some more of this in other mornings as to how the flow of uh, a service works. I want to talk a bit about that tomorrow. Um, but uh, is the content of what we're doing and is the, the flow of what it's taking us to, the journey of the service, something that works well? Or have we just flung together a whole series of disparate elements and hope they work? Uh, one of the, the worst things I do is the confirmation service where the confirmation candidates have all chosen their own favourite hymn, which is great for them, but they don't necessarily all fit together. Actually, it's not fair. It's rather nice to honour them that way. I, I enjoy doing it. Uh, but it does mean that you get some very odd things, you know, uh, in the service because they've chosen their favourite hymn without any sense of what the theme of the service is. Uh, and therefore, you have to try and string the thing together quite uh, a bit more uh, carefully. Uh, and I, I wonder how many of you find that there's a, a pattern, a sense of journey, a sense of going somewhere uh, when you're putting a service together. Would you like to reflect on your experience of when you choose hymns and how all that works? What's it like for you being engaged in putting something together? Uh, do you get a look at the whole service? Do you just get to do the song set? Uh, does the vicar choose the hymns? Uh, what happens? Chat to the person next to you. What's your experience of that getting the worship thing together? The one that sets us up for tomorrow. You can tell us what it's really like. Shh. Okay, so what's your experience of choosing songs, putting together service? How, what's it been like for you? How's the liaison with the vicar? Go on, tell us, tell us about it. Tell us. 
well, we get together as, as a group of leaders for our church and sort of talk through the next month or so what the sermons are going to be uh, and get an idea for a sort of theme for each service and, and a few songs that we'll suggest to whoever's going to lead worship to then set. And we'll, often the individual worship leader will talk to the, to the pastor a few weeks before to say, well, what are you planning to preach on? He'll come back with a couple of themes and say, it might change by the time I preach it. But, but he gets an idea of what's going to happen for the service. That's good. That's good practice. And we'll talk more about this tomorrow. So it's interesting just to hear. What about other folk who's had a different experience? I usually start with the readings, going through the readings that are going to be um, preached on at that service and praying about it and uh, hoping that somewhere along the way I'll get inspired (laughs) to choose the right songs. (laughs) But also use the thematic index and check it through with the vicar. Um, Maybe have a selection of songs that will fit around the, the theme and... Also, that just the sheer practicalities of what musicians are available on a particular day, knowing what's going to work with, with that band. Yeah, this is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? You can't, you can't do stadium rock with an acoustic guitar and uh, that's it. I've seen people try. So. <laughs> you may have tried. I have. I do air guitar. It doesn't work very well. Let me just come round here. Oh, sorry. That's the second time I've trodden in your bag. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, when I first became the worship leader in the church, I made it my uh, pledge, in effect, to do like our colleagues and read the uh, liturgy for the, the, the service, and then also to speak to the actual person who was doing the preaching, because it wasn't always the vicar who was doing it. And that was great until the time that I spoke with the one guy in the week and say, hi, John, you know, uh, I'm looking at the music for next Sunday's service, uh, and I'm just ringing to see, you know, what you're going to be thinking of in terms of your... your, your talk around the Bible passage and are there, is there any particular song that you would like included as well in that? Uh, and the response he gave to me is uh, he said, God knows what we'll be having in that service and he, you choose the music because God knows it will be right. <laughs> and then I just I couldn't say anything, I didn't know how to respond to that <laughs> other than say okay John and, oh. and, but sure enough Sunday God bless the service, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, but yes. it's, it certainly doesn't always go that way. With it. You, you're, you have these ideas in your head how you want things to go, and sometimes it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> Does anybody here feel like they wish they got more information up front before they could plan their sets? More liaison with their pastor, more understanding of what the series are. It's a, our goal really is to make a seamless flow, isn't it, from the beginning to the end of the meeting, and hopefully... Um, you'll be seeing that at Spring Harvest. Actually, um, in one of these morning sessions, we're going to kind of pull the curtain away from the secrecy of how Spring Harvest is organised and sort of show you the wizard behind the curtain, as it were, you know, how these big top celebrations get planned, what the ingredients are, how the decisions are made, how we communicate across the stage during the night about what's going to happen. Um, but our prayer for all of us, really, isn't it, that we want to liaise with our pastor and make it as seamless as possible. So... Uh, Let's be encouraging, uh, encouraging our pastors if we can to give us a bit of a heads up on what they're going to teach on and not just leave it up to the Holy Spirit to uh, reveal it in a, you know, a vision, an angelic visitation or some such encounter. <laughs> well, mine's a bit similar. Um, it's that we're given the readings. Um, I, I do plan the whole service, so I, do, I choose the, the spoken liturgy as well as the sung. Um, but I don't necessarily have the interaction with the preacher that, I, that, I, that I'd like. Um, 
our lay minister is actually better. He's outside on the compassion stand. Sorry, plug for them. But, um, and, and, but we work really brilliantly as a, as a partnership, is that we'll say, well, what are you preaching on? I'll, I'll do this. Perhaps explaining when we were talking is that it does mean that I listen to the sermon in a very different way. Because not that I want to justify the songs I've chosen, but to listen to how that fits together. And so you're listening to the sermon and thinking, actually, yeah, that, that line there is in that second song that's coming up. And, and, and it is then Holy Spirit-led. And we had an experience this Sunday. We had a, um, a speaker arrive that we weren't expecting. You know, you know Anglican diaries, things like that. And, um, and he spoke. And there was no way I would have known what he was going to speak on. And yet the song I'd chosen to finish with really picked up on, on his theme. And you think, okay, that was the inspiration. Excellent. That's very good. We had an interesting. I mean, I, th I think this thing about not knowing who's going to turn up or whatever is quite difficult sometimes. I mean, it's great when those sort of things fall together, isn't it? Uh, we had some conversations last week with a bunch of Northern Methodists who said the trouble is when you've got a circuit preacher coming in, you don't know who's coming, when they're coming, or, or what goes on. Yeah, I, I can see some Methodists giving me the yes, a, amen stuff there. So it's obviously, you know, in our different traditions, there are different challenges uh, about who picks what and who's involved. Person here. Hi, the, um, we've moved to a new area and the church that we actually go to, my husband, is a very traditional uh, organ um, music and uh, we find it very difficult to sort of this. We don't find any uplifting music and we, we'd like, there's supposed to be a change coming, but two years down the line and it hasn't happened yet. And we just want to, hoping that we can take a lot of positive stuff back to be able to make change. A lot of people in the congregation, yes, are ageing, but they also want change, which is a good thing, and it's just how to put that in place. Mm, watch this space. I'm waiting for some revolution here. It's good. We all know, of course, about organists, don't we? What's the difference between organist and a uh, organist and a terrorist? You can negotiate with a terrorist. <laughs> Um, another challenge that I think I found is that um, as a female worship leader, choosing songs can be like very different because you have to think about like transposing it into your own keys and things like that. Because so much of um, more, the, especially more the newer stuff, is written by guys who have very different vocal ranges to us. <laughs> if you can hang on till day five, Vicky will tell you all about transposing. So watch this space. We do some stuff on that whole business of the practicalities. So and if we don't do it, remind us on day five, all right? That, 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 fair enough. We ought to probably to be drawing to a close. Um, you will find that uh, tomorrow uh, our theme is going to be looking around uh, and how we put a worship gathering together. Vicky's already given you a heads up on that. So much of what we do tomorrow will be talking about how these things hang together, the outworking of what we've just been talking about, how you liaise, uh, what goes on in terms of the content of a worship service, uh, what God is doing through the service. So I hope you'll join us tomorrow and enjoy that. Uh, we all sort of flag for you, for those who um, came in a bit later, uh, Vicky was saying just before we started, this is a, a, a complete stream. So if you look at your uh, program planner, you will find that throughout the week in the afternoons, there are sessions also in here. So you haven't got to find a different venue, uh, which are very practical. What's on today, Vicky? Can you remember? That's a good question, Pete. I was going to ask I, you. I, don't, I can't remember either. But if you look at them, it's songwriting. And that's at 2.15 or 3.45? 3.45. 
Uh, so we, we've got both practical stuff in terms of uh, playing various instruments and also stuff about uh, how you write stuff and those sorts of things. Have a look through and you'll see that there's that afternoon session if you want to follow through the more practical stuff. If not, uh, or even if, we hope we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks very much for coming. Have a good rest of the day.